You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to get some people to re, uh, read some of the uh, stuff that we've talked about over the past couple of weeks just to remind us um, of where we've been in Revelation. So we're going to look at Revelation chapter 5 and chapter 6. Those are the two chapters that we've covered over the past six weeks. Is there somebody that would like to get us started by reading Revelation 5, 1 through 5? All right, Ryan, read that for us. And then who would like to read? We'll go ahead and um, give out everything. Who wants to read 6 through 8? All right, Bobby. And then uh, 9 through 14, Will. And then into chapter 6, um, 1 through 4, Jordan. And then 5 through 8, Tiffany. And then Dallas, 9 through 11. And then 12 through 17, Philip. All right, let's get started with Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who is to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. 
When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were given each a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth, as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? All right, so <clears throat> we've covered these last two chapters, five and six, over the past, I guess, five weeks now. We um, led off after our last application Sunday, talking about our responsibility to hear and to respond to the letters to the seven churches. And so I want us to go back and just hit the high points from the last several sermons, and then there's going to be application points that follow from those that we'll hit at the very end. So <clears throat> we had let off since our last application Sunday with that responsibility to, um, to hear and to respond to those letters. And we talked about our responsibility within this church for our church to function properly, for our church to hear and respond appropriately, that it necessitates the elders doing their part and the members doing their part. And our summary sentence for that week, for us to hear the message of Christ to the churches, the elders must be ready to lead with joy and members must be ready to respond in obedience and submission, trusting that the end goal of our leadership is unity, maturity, and love. Um, and so we hit some high points that week about the responsibility of elders and then also the responsibility of members. And so I just wanted to recap those briefly. Uh, we talked about the elders being responsible to set the spiritual pace of this church. In response to those letters, it's the job of the elders to lead and guide our church into making sure that we're being obedient to what those letters say. In Hebrews uh, chapter 13, uh, verse 7. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We talked about the elders having a responsibility to be leaders that are worth remembering, leaders that are worth following, leaders that have meaningful things to say, leaders that inspire others to live differently, uh, the type of people that we should imitate our faith after. 
um, that they're worth imitating, that they're capable of being imitated, that they put themselves around the people of the church in such a way that they can be imitated. Um, the elders have the responsibility to set the spiritual pace of this church, and, and that's what we desire to do. We desire the deacons to come uh, alongside of us in that process as well. Um, we want to lead well. We want to set the spiritual pace. We also want to do so in an attitude of humility. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The elders are to be a model of that humility. We want to lead with humility. Um, We want to take ownership of our leadership in a willing way, in an eager way, and in a way that serves the people of this church. We said that when the elders are doing this, when the elders are leading well, members are following well, it leads to um, us being protected from false teaching, from us being protected from Satan and his actions. Um, we're called to empower others, the Bible talks about as elders in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, we have the responsibility to identify and help equip those to serve within the ministry. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, uh, we talked about that week, it says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, why did he give those people? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so we have that responsibility to lead and to empower others to serve within our church family. And then the uh, membership has a responsibility within that to help energize the elders in their leadership uh, by helping the elders feel loved and valued, um, that there's a joy that comes from uh, leading within the church. First Thessalonians five twelve through thirteen was one passage that we referenced. First uh, Thessalonians five twelve through thirteen. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Um, Hebrews chapter thirteen verse seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give. An account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. One of the applications from that sermon was to complete the um, the survey that we did, and uh, we're going to come back and talk about that survey at the very end. Um, we appreciated the feedback. We've been working through the feedback. We look forward to getting back to you guys with the feedback that you provided, but we'll come back to that towards the end. But that was the major application from that week. We gave you a survey about how we're doing as um, how we're doing as a church how we're doing as leaders within the church, as elders, and how we can improve. Um, And so we got some great feedback that we're going to talk about a little bit later. Um, Let's see if we can get the notes back up here. All right, so that led us into uh, Revelation chapter 5 and 6. And we we got into chapter 5 talking about the Creator being worthy of our worship. You'll remember that we talked about Revelation 5 really dealing with uh, God the Father and His role um, as Creator and why He's worthy of worship as the Creator and then uh, Revelation, um, let me see if I got that right. Sorry, Revelation 4, talking about that. Revelation 5, really hitting on the fact that the Lamb, uh, through God, is the one who we worship. And so we talked about God as creator in Revelation chapter 4. Um, 
we summarize that sermon by talking about God deserving and demanding our worship based on who he is and what he has done as our holy, sustaining creator. Um, the good news is that God is a great being who, who has accomplished great things and deserves that recognition and gets that recognition. We see glimpses here in heaven of God receiving the glory and the worship that he deserves and getting that for all eternity. You'll remember we talked about sin and the essence of sin being um, the abandonment of submitting to God as our creator. And so the essence of salvation is God returning us to that state of properly acknowledging him as our creator and, and giving him the true worship that he deserves. We talked about praising God for being king over everything, that all history is submitted to him. Um, the, the book of Revelation talks about these are things that must take place. These are things that have to take place um, in order for God's will to be accomplished. And so we can take great comfort in reading the book of Revelation, knowing that these are things that have to happen, things that God desires to happen, thing that God, things that God will work through in order to bring himself glory. And so we can get comfort from that. Um, all reward is gifted by God. We see God handing out white robes and gold crowns in these scenes in heaven. Um, these are fulfillments of the promises in the letters to the churches that if you endure to the end, these are the things that you receive. Um, all authority being submitted to God. We see uh, heavenly creatures serving and worshiping God in heaven. Even these evil forces we've talked about being submitted to God, that their authority and their power is given to them by God. And so that gives us great comfort, uh, hopefully as well. Uh, we talked about praising God for being holy in everything. John tries to give us an attempt as he com uh, compares and, and talks about this throne room and what he's seeing. He's, he's grasping for the best words possible to describe a holy God that's really just completely separate from his creation. Uh, we talked about praising God for being the creator and sustainer of everything. Um, you see this picture of people casting their crowns back to God. Um, and proclaiming his worthiness. And we see all, a lot of singing in heaven, right? We talked about the great amounts of singing that take place in heaven as people are acknowledging and worshiping God for who he is. And that led us into talking about that picture of the lamb and him being worthy of our worship uh, because of the fact that his sacrificial work and is uh, accomplishing a global salvation, and he's the only one worthy to open the seals um, as we see there, then it's, uh, it says in um, chapter 5, verse 1, Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud, loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And we talked about that great need in heaven for someone to be able to carry out the will of God, to do so in a perfect way, and no being was found that was able to do so until the lamb steps forth. Um, it says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Um, talked about how all of the religions focus on man becoming worthy before God, but Christianity once again presents here the only worthy one before God is the lamb, is Jesus, and it's only through him that we can be saved. We talked about worshiping Jesus as the executioner of history, um, that he is the one who carries out God's plans. He's, only, uh, he's the only one who can fulfill all the prophecies. Um, we talked about him being the worthy victor. He's pictured here as a slain lamb, but a resurrected lamb, uh, one who is omnipotent with the seven horns and the seven eyes and the seven spirits. Uh, we said that that creates kind of a, a weird picture of Jesus, and that if you googled that image, it's not something that uh, that you really are, are prone to like. It's kind of a horrific uh, picture of an animal. 
Um, but really, those, those terms and those pictures are meant to portray to us his power, the horn representing power and the eyes representing um, his omniscience, his, his knowledge, the fact that he can see everything, and, and the seven spirits of God representing the Holy Spirit, showing his omnipresence, that his spirit, his presence is everywhere. So we see the, the, the worthy victor in Jesus as he's pictured as a slain lamb. And then we saw uh, the aspect of worshiping Jesus as the unrivaled son of God. <clears throat> we said that the picture here in Revelation chapter 5, they are using similar terminology and words in the way that they worship Jesus that they were using towards God the Father in chapter 4. And so it's a picture to us that Jesus is uh, the Son of God, that he is the unrivaled Son of God, and that he possesses the same deity and the same worth as God the Father. And so we worship Jesus in response to the Father bestowing on him all glory. We highlighted some of those verses in the New Testament that talk about Jesus receiving that glory from his Father and being lifted up as an object of worship for us. That leads us into seeing Jesus as that one who opens that scroll. We said the coming events of history, as challenging and difficult as they may be, are completely under the control of Jesus who initiates and empowers them to happen. The coming events of history, as challenging and difficult as they may be, are completely under the control of Jesus who initiates and empowers them to happen. So when he begins to open those seals, we begin to see some horrific things with war and death and famine and sickness. Uh, We see the martyrs being killed and them weeping before the throne about their bloodshed. And so it's not a picture that you typically conjure up in your mind when you think about God's will being carried out. And yet we see Jesus is the one who opens these seals. Jesus is the one who summons these forces to come to him and to carry out his will. And so we see these things falling in line with God's plan, as horrific as they may be, as challenging and difficult as they may be, all of these things are completely under the control of Jesus. He initiates them. He empowers them. Um, We tried to talk a little bit about the when these things happen, uh, but we said the when is not really the priority. Um, Can anybody remember what we said is the priority in approaching these these, um, chapters? We said that asking the right questions is important. We use the Jeopardy analogy that we've got answers given to us in these chapters. We have to determine what questions they are answering to really mine as much um, profitable information from this as possible. So what were some of the right questions that we said we should be asking? If not when, what is the right question? All right, we said that these things are going to happen, and God wants us to understand the why behind some of it. Um, God wants to help answer the question of the why, but he also wants to answer the question, how should we respond when we see these things happening? These things are going to happen. These things have been happening. Remember, his disciples would come to him and say, when does this happen? When when can we expect these things to happen? And Jesus never really answers the when question that they ask. Instead, he says, when these things do happen, they have a responsibility to respond appropriately. Some of the responses that we hit on is that they have a responsibility to endure, right? This is extremely helpful that Jesus tells us these things are expected to happen. Think, if, think about this. If we didn't have the prophecies that we have about things that will happen, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and, and the, the, the church being persecuted, if we didn't have that, it would possibly create a lot of confusion as we sit around as a church gathering every Sunday wondering, is Jesus in control? Because we see a lot of chaos going on in our world today. See, we, we understand, even without fully recognizing it, 
we understand a lot of the things that we see in the news today and a lot of the things that we hear through this filter that Jesus promised these things to happen. And so we take for granted the fact that he has told us these things would happen. If we didn't have that knowledge, we would sit before the news and hear about wars and rumors of wars and wonder, where does this fit in God's plan? So it's very comforting. It should be very comforting to us to know Jesus predicted these things, Jesus promised these things, and he's told us how to respond to them, that we're to endure, we're not to panic. And he also was very heavy on the idea of evangelizing in the midst of this, that these are signs that we are getting closer to the end, and so the urgency then is to portray Christ to those around us. Um, So we can take great comfort in the fact that the when is not the priority, the why and the how is where we focus on answering these questions as we read these chapters. Um, while we may not have all the answers, there's no reason to despair. So while I would love to be able to tell you when some of these things happen, we don't have to despair over the fact that I can't tell you. We've been told the important things that God created everything with purpose. He remains in control of creation. Jesus wins in the end. He includes believers in that victory, and he fixes everything forever. We also talked about uh, in chapter 5, Jesus really being presented as... Um, the most powerful being that we encounter in Revelation, right? As these horse riders begin to come out in chapter 6, all of them gain their power and authority from Jesus. Even at the end of chapter 6 that we just read, when Jesus comes back, it says the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, the rich, the powerful, everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? I think we've referenced this before. I had found a video a long time ago, a picture of Jesus coming back, and there was two different responses in the video. It's, a, it's one of those cartoonish-type um, videos that we've shown before, but the picture as Jesus is coming back is you have Christians that are running to him with open arms, and then you have others that are fleeing from him, trying to hide from his presence. And that's the picture that we get in Revelation, that for some, his return is a glorious thing. It's relief. It's peace. It's, it's the fixing of everything, right? Second Thessalonians 1 talks about when Jesus comes back, the persecutors, the oppressors will be dealt with. That's a good thing for the church. It's a good thing for believers. It's a horrific thing for those that have not responded to Jesus. Um, and so that's the picture that we get here. The kings, all these great rulers and generals are hiding themselves from Jesus. He's the greatest and most powerful being. Uh, coming events are completely under the control and guidance of the Lamb. Uh, the Lamb intentionally restrains what happens during the end. Right As we read these four horsemen, uh, you really have to read it and really look and see that Jesus is in control of the things the horses are even doing right? That the famine is limited. It can only go so far. It can only affect so much that even as death and Hades ride forward and the souls are being killed for their faith, uh, or the the martyrs are being killed for their faith and the souls are crying out in heaven, that Jesus limits how many of them can even be killed. Um, The Lamb certainly remembers the church in the midst of executing his plans. He doesn't forget those who fail to repent as he talks about bringing proper judgment on the right people. So we can find great hope um, in those truths. And then lastly, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the seals being broken by the lamb and went a little bit more in depth. We talked about the lamb ruling over what appears to be a chaotic world of evil and suffering, and he will bring matters under his hand of justice 
at the appropriate time. I told you that I think the four horsemen are portraying events that have been taking place since Jesus left this earth. Um, we talked, remember we talked, we went back and looked at some of the Old Testament passages where, where God threatened these very same things on nations that would not repent, that, that God has always been operating with these type of judgments. And so this isn't completely unique when he talks about it here in Revelation. It's simply a reflection of how God has always operated when judging groups of people that he brings about famine and war and pestilence and death. And so this is a consistent pattern that we see. So it's not unique to Revelation. And I think that helps give us some clarity that we're not looking for something radically unique per se in seeing these things carried out. But we do see these things continuing to be carried out in history after Jesus leaves. And so um, the events described, I think, are really a cycle of things that are going to happen until Jesus comes back. Um, I think we can be encouraged that we're on the side of the one who holds the fate of history in his hands. We highlighted that, and then ultimately the end will come at the appropriate time, right? Jesus says that I will come back when the last martyr has been put to death, that that's when it will come to an end. And so there is certainly a timetable for Jesus to come back, even though we don't know it. Um, So we're told to wait patiently, but we don't have to wait forever. So we don't know when but we do know that it will come to an end and it will come to an end with God receiving all of the glory that he has deserved. So from an application standpoint, um, out of these sermons, I want to hit four points and and we'll wrap up with this before we lead into a time of prayer and a time of partaking of the Lord's Supper. These are four things that I want us to highlight. First of all, going back to that first um, sermon where we talked about the elders leading and the members responding. We have read through everything that everybody in our church has said is a good thing that we're doing as a church, things that should be commended, and then also areas of concern, things that we could do better. So we've read through all of it. What we're in the midst of doing now as elders is putting together a follow-up survey, taking that information, and making sure that we don't blindly think that some things are great in our church because because one or two people said it, and that we also don't panic and think that certain things need to be addressed simply because one or two people said it. Does that make sense? Like, we've gotten great feedback. We want to see where there's some consistency. And so the survey that we're putting together now um, is going to be a lot more simple in the fact that you're simply going to respond to whether you agree or disagree with certain statements about our church. So if you kind of stayed away from the previous survey because you felt like that might be time-consuming and I don't have time to do it, this will be far faster not any less serious, so don't simply just click, 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 but it's not going to require you to come up with your own information to pass on to us about our church. It's simply, we want to give you some statements about our church, and we want to know if you agree or disagree with that statement. We believe that's going to help us as elders, as we work with our deacons as well, to see where we're at as a church and where we can improve as a church. Um, And so one of the great things that you can do for us um, as members of our church to serve our elders is to respond to that survey when it comes out. We're going to meet again as elders on Tuesday and begin to try to finalize some of that and try to get that out to you, hopefully this week, if not this week, next week. Um, But as soon as it gets posted, if you can respond as quickly as possible, I think the last survey, we kind of drug it out for a month to try to get as many responses back as possible. Again, this won't be as time-consuming, but it would be a huge way for you to apply some of the things that we've talked about because we as elders are wanting and desiring to lead our church into the greatest health possible. Um, And the best way for us to do that is to get some feedback from you about where we stand and where we can go 
um, from your perspective. And so we would love to get feedback from you when we get to that point. All right, Um, second application point. Worship God in attitude, word, and deed to celebrate history as the realization of his will. I think what we see in these chapters is a picture in heaven of every creature and every being in heaven worshiping God in attitude, in word, in deed, giving him the glory and the, the, the celebration that he deserves as history is being realized as his will. And for me, just kind of thinking through this, like this has daily implications for us, especially as we go through difficult times, realizing that history, the things that are playing out right now, it's the realization of God's will. And we can celebrate it and we can worship him for it, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of less desirable circumstances. We can celebrate God as being our creator and our redeemer and recognize and rest in the fact that history, as it's unfolding, is his will. And that can be on a, on a big scale where uh, maybe there's a tragedy in your family where, where you lose a loved one and, and it's a difficult journey to kind of walk through that with family members to being on vacation and the weather not being what you desire for it to be. It's, it's God carrying out his plan. It's God carrying out his will. And so God can be celebrated in the midst of those circumstances, even if it's not the circumstances we would have picked. History is the realization of God's will. I mean, we can celebrate that in attitude. Um, I'm reading a great book right now. Uh, our staff at Trinity is having to read through this. It's called Stop Your Complaining. And it talks about uh, the grumbling and complaining that we're so prone to. Uh, the first chapter talks about how we almost look for commonality in what we grumble and complain about to start up conversations. That, that if you just pause and stop and, and reflect on how quickly it takes for one of two people in a conversation to start complaining about something, it happens so quickly. We are so prone to complain and to grumble. Um, but then it talks about a, a holy perspective on complaining that oftentimes circumstances that we're dissatisfied with lead us to make changes. Um, but we have, to, we have a responsibility to worship God in attitude because we're prone to complain. And if history is the realization of God's will, to complain against that is really to attack God's best plan and to attack God's wisdom. So we have a responsibility to worship him in attitude, in word, and deed as we reflect on history being the realization of his will. We talked about finding ways to sing together um, so I'm curious, like in family worship times, if anybody has any feedback on things that they've been doing recently to apply some of the things that we've talked about, maybe related to singing may not be. Um, I know one of the things that we did that I really enjoyed on our vacation, um, this week with the McLeods is Adam had posted, I guess, two weeks ago that when you're on vacation, it can be easy to get out of some of your normal routine, especially with your kids. If you're doing family worship type stuff, and so he, um, he had challenged us to kind of rethink how we handle our vacations. And so one of the things that we did as a family is we worked on um, scripture memory. And so we had picked out a verse from Philippians to memorize with our boys. Um, and so I think they were working on it separately as they were putting their kids to bed. We're working on it with our kids as we're putting them to bed. And by the end of the week, like our boys are able to recite this verse together. And so it was, it was great because it came from Philippians 2, talking about the the, the humble mindset that we're to have as we put the needs of others above our own needs, which is certainly a challenge when you're on vacation with multiple people. Selfishness comes out and you want to do things your way and you want to do things the way that you want them done. And so being able to serve each other and look for ways to put the needs of each other above your own needs. Um, so it was, it was really encouraging for me to be able to, 
to participate in that with our family, working on scripture memory on our vacation. So that was one thing that we, we attempted to do over the past couple of weeks. Other thoughts maybe on things that you've done at home that's kind of tied to some of the things that we've talked about um, here on Sunday morning. Any thoughts on that? One thing that I had gotten into the habit of doing when I was memorizing scripture was reciting those verses on my way to work, um, just as to remind myself of them, which means I didn't have time to listen to the radio or listen to any, um, you know, uplifting music. And so I've started making through a few verses or making through a couple of chapters or whatever, instead of trying to do all of them that I know which takes a while, um, maybe do a book or whatever, which takes about 10 minutes or so, and then use the rest of that time to listen to uplifting music and, um, or, or put a CD in, um, which Tyson's CD is great for that plug. But, but just being conscious of that, being aware that this is a, another way to set the tone for my day and not be so goal-oriented on finishing, oh, I gotta do this chapter, now I gotta do this book, you know, it's, it's the freedom to move and, and do as I, you know, as the spirit leads, so that's been helpful to me. Mm-hmm. I challenged uh, my kids to not waste their summer, uh, so I told them I wanted them to have a physical goal and a spiritual goal by the end of the summer to try to accomplish, so they've kind of, I told them they had to write them all down and figure out, you know, what their physical was if they wanted to, to run faster like Libby wanted to, because she's really been into soccer, and I think Luke and Logan's was to do two uh, pull-ups or something like that by the end of the summer, and then uh, I think Logan wanted to be able to read Noah's story by himself. Uh, Libby, Luke, what were your guys' spirituals? Huh? Uh, Libby wanted to read Proverbs, and Luke was. I just didn't want them to, to waste their summer. You know, I want them to have fun because they're kids, and they work really hard during the year, and they deserve a break. Teachers don't deserve a break, but kids do. <laughs> but um, I just didn't want them to waste the summer, so I told them they need to set some goals for themselves, and then we would evaluate at the end of the year how they did on those. Can you share a little bit about what y'all are doing with the songs? Did we get to participate in it? Yeah. Um, so we just wanted to get the kids kind of uh, familiar with the songs. And um, so we thought one way we would do that is before we sit down and pray to eat a meal, that we would read through a song. So we started with the first week, and every time before Jen would eat breakfast or lunch with the kids or when I was home to eat dinner, we would read Psalm 1. Um, so we would do Psalm 1 all week long before we prayed together. And so while we were on vacation and we were eating dinner at the house, we did Psalm 8 together too with everybody. Um, so it gives them enough time to get familiar with the uh, language that we see in Psalms, um, as well as um, you know how a lot of the songs that we sometimes see come from Psalms. Um, and so um, it's been fun just to kind of read through and um, David talks a lot about his enemies and um, what he'd like for God to do to them, but I mean that's part of Psalms, um, and so um, yeah, it's been good. I have to brag on my guys a little bit. <laughs> so really encouraging. Bobby started a study with Philippi and Jonah a few weeks ago on biblical manhood, and has been alternating the days 
who, who gets up with him to do Bible study before he leaves for work in the morning. And then after um, the D-Now weekend, last weekend for the youth or for the kids, um, it was really cool because one morning I got up to get coffee and here's Philip leading Bible study and sharing about the D-Now weekend with with Bobby and then the next morning I get up and here's Jonah leading the Bible study and this is it was really super encouraging and 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 it's neat to wake up and hearing their voices in the living room doing the study together so it's been really cool. All right let's move on to um, number three. Uh, we talked about our responsibility to bring God glory by resisting the urge to worship things and instead using things to point others to him. Um, specifically we tied that application point to the picture there in heaven where we see um, people casting their crowns back to God as an act of worship, that he had handed out these things to them as kind of a reward uh, for their endurance, and here we see them casting them back to him as an act of worship. And at the end of that sermon, I really challenged you to to kind of think through some of the things that have been gifted to us and how we're so prone to to worship those things that have been given to us. Um, and if we're not careful, they become idols in our life, and we fail to use them to give God the glory that he deserves. And so there's many gifts that God gives to us, and they can be used or misused uh, based on the, the approach that we take with them. And so, I mean, we had talked as, uh, as a church about just the idea that, that marriage is a gift, right? And so that we have a responsibility to use our marriages as a means of pointing others to Jesus. And so we pursue marriage uh, and we can pursue it uh, wholeheartedly and we can pursue it passionately as a single person that we desire to be married and it not be a bad thing if our goal and intent is to use that marriage once we reach that point for his purposes. Um, That we can certainly pursue them selfishly, but we can pursue it passionately and it be a good thing if our plan and desire is to, to see that marriage used for God's glory. And so I challenge you to, to think through uh, the aspect of worshiping God with the things that he's given us instead of worshiping the things that he's actually given to us. And one of the points that we talked about was scheduling your week intentionally to bring glory to him together as a family. Um, that kind of sitting down at the beginning of the week and thinking through, here's the things that we're going to do as a family, because we can easily use our week as a, as a means of worship to ourselves. We can plan our week and do all the things that we want to do and fail to factor in other people that we could serve with the seven days that God has given to us. Um, and so I would encourage you as we've, as we've been talking about the ways that we can worship God and how obviously God has created us to worship him because that's where we end up for eternity is worshiping him and giving him the honor and glory that he is due. How can we use the seven days each week that God gives to us as a means of worship? And how can we schedule intentionally ways to do so? How can we sit down as a family and say, okay, as a family or as a single individual, God has created me with the purpose to worship him and to bring glory to him. How do I plan to do that this week? What things can I schedule to make sure that I'm accomplishing that purpose? Um, any thoughts on, on, on that, things that maybe you've been able to do since we've talked about that or, or things that it brought to your mind as we, as we mentioned that um, in our previous sermon? I think one thing that, because um, I think this applied to one of our more recent C groups, and we talked about things that we worship, and um, we realized through the years, like we, in a sense, not realizing it, but have probably been worshiping our home as like a place to just 
retreat from life, retreat from work. Um, but we've really had to uh, kind of go outside our comfort zone and try to open it up more uh, these past few years to uh, family and friends, and more importantly, um, not more importantly, but neighbors too, who you know we're trying to build relationships with and stuff. But I know myself, I for sure was worshiping my home in a way where, um, you know, it secluded me from life instead of opening up to invite people into our lives. So. Well, one thing that God has shown me is I thought that this summer was going to be devoted to conditioning for softball and trying out for softball. And he kind of just showed me how, like, softball was an idol in my life. And so I've decided not to play. And, like, at first I was really angry because I've spent so much time, like, playing it in high school and training for it, whatever. And when God showed it to me, I was like, no, I really want to play. But, like, my whole time other than school would have been devoted to softball. Like, I wouldn't have been able to come to church on Sundays whatever so through God showing me that I've been able to really serve my mama and my uncle Daryl like I'll go sit with them some days and like I've really been able to take time with my cousin because she's really struggling seeing her dad die from cancer and like we've been praying together and just reading the Bible together and I wouldn't have been able to do that if I was away conditioning with the softball team or whatever so God just really showed me how that was idle in my life. One of the things that uh, some of me and some of the other guys have talked about um, that meet on Thursday mornings was um, how often we, um, so back to resisting the urge to worship things, like how often we try to figure out a good reason to use our resources towards something because we want it. And then the secondary filter is how can we use it for God's glory versus using that as the first filter. Like, let me look around my neighborhood or at work to see what are the needs that God sovereignly already placed around me that I could use those resources towards. Um, and if it benefits me, then that's great. But I know that I'll be serving those around me. Um, and I'd say the majority of the time, I'm guilty of using resources, time, money, for something that I want, and then looking at that secondary filter of, is there any other way I could use this? And I want to be, I want that first filter to be, what are the needs already around me to really resist that urge to gratify my own desire first and then look for a way for that to be used by God. So we're all able to come up with any example? Um, we got a lot of uh, the wrong examples. Um, <laughs> so this is good realization for us. Uh, some good momentum. Um, no, but I mean, it's changed even me when I'm looking around in my neighborhood. Like, what are some things that I'm, you know, trying to recognize the things that my neighbors need help with? Um, and are there big purchases coming up that I would maybe use in a different way that, that now I might use it in a way for something to serve them as well? 
Um, so. Can we submit our needs to you <laughs> for your upcoming purchases? Yeah. Made some pressure washing down at my house, so. <laughs> All right, um, the last one that I wanted to, to redraw our attention to. When you struggle to see God's purposes and events in your life, rely upon his character that you know. When you struggle to see God's purposes and events, so as you're going through situations and, you're, and you're not, it's not really resonating with you why God is doing this, and so there's a lot of questions in your mind as to why is this playing out the way that it is, that it's in those times that we really, we really need to rely upon the character that we do know. And that's what we see in Revelation um, chapter 6. When the, when the martyrs are crying out, when that fifth seal is opened, it says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then they were each given a white robe, told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. They're questioning God a little bit here, right? They're, 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 they're coming to him with questions as to why things are playing out the way that they are and why God is delaying his action in this situation. But we talked about their mindset being right, because they approach him and address him, O sovereign Lord, holy and true. That they're, they're relying upon his character here. They're clinging to his character, which they do know. They don't know why he's doing things that he's doing or why he's not doing certain things that they think he should be doing. But they're coming at it with this approach of clinging to the character of who he is and really relying upon the things that they do know. They don't, they don't know why he's not doing this, and they are questioning and asking him, why, how long until we see you act upon this? But God doesn't rebuke them for it. They come to him, and they recognize that he's the sovereign one, that he's the one that's in control, that he's holy and that he's true. And so they're not questioning his character. They're not questioning his power, right? They come to him with a right attitude. They're concerned because they don't know why it's playing out the way that it is, but they're clinging to his character in the midst of that situation. So I want us to be reminded as a church family that we're going to go through things that we don't always understand. We're going to go through circumstances that don't make sense to us. And it's in the midst of those times that we really have to cling to the God that we've learned so much about, right? Like that's test day. We, we've, we've gathered all this knowledge. We filled our minds with who God is. Even in the midst of reading through Psalms, Psalms talks heavily about the, the character of God and who he is and how he acts and the things that he does and the promises that we can rely upon, that's going to go a long way when, when Adam and Jen's kids are grown up and they're going through circumstances and situations that don't make sense to them to fall back upon things that they know to be true about God. Um, anybody have any situations recently where maybe that's been true, where you've been going through something that didn't really make sense or you had a lot of questions about why it was playing out the way that it was, but you were really were able to, to kind of think back on this passage or, or other passages and kind of rely upon God's character to sustain you through that. Any thoughts on that? Mm -hmm. Sitting in the lawyer's office for three hours on Wednesday trying to close on this house that I knew he told me to sell, that I knew he told me to sell to these people for the amount that he said to do it. And walking away from there and being like, 
what just happened because it didn't close. Um, and it turned out that there was just um, something wrong with the paperwork that they had submitted from their house sale that morning that was discrepant in everything else that they had. Uh, but just going home and being just really kind of angry and like, ah! And then the next day it was all resolved, but it just, you know, you, you have to get to the point where you're like, I did what you said, you gotta do your part, and I have, just have to be okay with it, this is the way it is, and I don't know why, but it all worked out, but it just was mm -hmm. tearing my hair out because you're in there and you feel like a hostage and you don't know why nobody's telling you anything you're like why is this taking so long but god's good all the time and it's over with so now it's tom's turn tom? <laughs> you know, we gotta help tom get his his going through uh, just recently i've been just really struggling with doubt in my life and you know, uh, transitioning into a new job or whatever, but Topi, I think it was Friday, he had texted me just saying, hey, brother, I love you, man, and it just kind of changed my outlook, my perspective a lot more, and I met with Marcus yesterday, had coffee with him, and we talked about the love of God, and just kind of helped me to relieve a lot of that in my life, you know, and it was, it was pretty dark, it was pretty, uh, just didn't understand a lot of different things, you know, just genuinely struggling and just seeing Christian friends uh, it's just it's amazing you know? last night I spent the evening with three with two other ladies my age and we had a sweet sweet time discussing how over the years I mean since we were children to be able to see God's hand directing and guiding and holding us to certain things and even though you know we weren't believers at that point you know, early on, but we could still see um, the path that we took, that, that a lot of them were dark, a lot of them were scary, a lot of them were um, not what we would call good, you know, but to see on the outside, the other side of that, the beauty that God has worked you know, throughout our lives. And just wanna, you know, just to witness to you guys that just to persevere in following Christ Stay close to him and trust him always to be doing what is right. I mean, Romans 8, 28 sounds trite when you're in a bind, when you're hurting, when, when things aren't going right. But it is so true that all things do work together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Though you can't see it, though it may hurt tremendously. Um, and that, that means even the good times, the times of joy. And, you know, it's just amazing to look back on your life and see how God has just been totally sovereignly in control and done everything he's done with your life through love. And that's just awesome. We had a one. It was a sweet, sweet time. I think that um, specifically this application the week that we did it, um, certainly in, a, in my own life, but it just gave me a really good perspective about how to share with other people in my life that were hurting um, a lot of times you just don't know what to say to somebody that Ben and Andrew and I kind of joke around back and forth sometimes about like just little contrived little platitudes that are written on clothes God's got this you know and it sounds so silly and you know and I, I really hate that when somebody's hurting um, you don't really you, know, you can say things but 
I specifically texted that very phrase, that application to my sister who was going through just some, um, they were moving as well and, and just a lot of things and, and they're believers, but she was frustrated and, and hurting. And I think just saying, you know, relying on his uh, character and being able to say that is just a way, gave me just a fresh perspective to minister, not only to myself, but to other people in my life. It just felt so solid and instead of just like, God's going to see you through. I mean, I would never say that, really, <laughs> because he will, and he is good, and, and, and all of those things. But sometimes it just, as believers, we hear some of those things so much that it just felt very weighted and comforting to send that to someone and also for myself. All right, well, we'll pick it up next week as we um, continue to work through the SEALs. Um, but I wanted to, again, pause today and kind of recap where we had been and um, just remind ourselves of some of the things that we've been learning in hopes of seeing continued application um, in that direction. Before we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're going to spend just a brief time in prayer. Um, and so I wanted to take some prayer requests, but I also wanted to um, throw up some things that, that need to be um, on our mind as we continue to, to pray for each other. Um, Terry posted recently about Molly. Um, finishing up her internship. Some of you have probably not even met Molly. She um, moved uh, to take an internship um, almost a year ago at this point, and will be finishing up in three weeks and coming back home. It's a counseling internship, and um, so her mom um, has expressed a desire for us to really pray for her over the next three weeks as um, it's just been a lot of tough stuff going on up there, um, and so we want to pray that she's able to finish out strong. Um, we are planning to, I think we're planning on doing kind of a welcome back thing for her, right? Okay. Yeah, so we've sent care packages throughout this year to her. Um, she joined our church right before taking the internship, um, but we'll have a big um, welcome back thing for her the first Sunday that she's back. Um, we want to continue to pray for um, our friends at Snowbird. Um, for those of you that have come more recently to our church, um, Three of the families up there served as external elders for our church before Tyson and Sarah came on, or Tyson and Tyson and Adam, Tyson and Sarah and Adam and Jen as families, but Adam and Tyson came on as elders at our church um, several years back. But prior to that, when our church first started, um, these three families served as external elders um, to assist me in planting our church, and so we've continued to support them and continue to pray for them. Um, and so that's Rob Conti and Sean Clark, and Spencer Davis. And so I texted those guys this morning and told them that we would be praying for them. They're about halfway through the summer at this point. Um, just continue to pray for them because they are also elders at their local church. And so they work all week at summer camp, um, all day long, up early uh, to bed late. And then they've got church responsibilities as well because most of their church families aren't connected to the church or, or to the camp during the week. And so they've got all kinds of responsibilities that take place. Um, on top of being um, husbands and daddies uh, to their wife and kids. And so we want to just pray that God would continue to sustain them through their gospel ministry uh, right now. Continue to pray for Chris and Melissa, um, for their health, for their safety, and for continued direction and how they're using their time um, in Uganda. And then I know we've been praying for the Mercer family, so I wanted to put them back up there. And then, if Tom, if you wanted to update us at all um, with the house situation. I'll just be brief. Um... <laughs> Our house appraisal came back shockingly low. Um, I mean, I knew my house had issues. But I, I went to my cousin who's a real estate attorney and 
showed him the paperwork, talked with him, and he said, no, this is pretty legitimate. He said, they don't, it's not like 15 or 20 years ago when you could get somebody to do an appraisal the way you wanted them to. He said, they really cracked down on stuff. And he said, he said it's, it's, it's going to be pretty accurate. Um, but they did give us a very generous offer considering what it appraised for. Not what we were hoping to get, but still, um, after we got over the shock and realized how generous it was, um, we told them that we'd go ahead and take it. Um, so I think we're going to work out the details. We're basically going to close on the house whenever we find something else. Um, still dealing with uh, Allstate and the car stuff. Um, they gave us one offer for Aaron. They gave us an offer for Aaron's car that was fair. That's what we paid for it just a few months ago. Uh, our car, that's another story. So just, I guess my prayer for that is just wisdom to know how to proceed. I had to do this with the Honda about, what, six months, eight months ago. And it's, it's, it can be very frustrating. Um, so I'll be dealing with that this week. Um, but you know, we're okay. <laughs> you guys just got back from Kansas again? Um, no, the, the Suburban broke down, so we didn't have enough cars to do what we wanted to do, so we, we didn't go. Okay. Uh, we were supposed to have left Thursday, but when the Suburban broke down, it left Caroline without a vehicle, and she next week is a week that she nannies, and so it, it, just, it just didn't work out. Are we over here? I don't think in Pike County. <laughs> uh, we, we're starting to look. Once we get the official offer, we'll start looking. We're going to look in Northern, Noonan, Tyrone, Sharpsburg. Uh, we just need to be closer to the interstate so we're not so far from Lydia because she's going to need a lot of help come August, September. So right now, that, that's what we're looking to do. Okay. The transition going on with them with Tom's retirement as well <coughs> and also conversations they're having with Tom's family uh, in the midst of his mom recently passing away a lot of things that we can pray for anything else that we can add to this before we pray again yeah. I'm leaving on Saturday to go uh, to Washington DC to be with family for the week um, and just travel on mercies with that, make sure everything goes smoothly. But also that the temptation is always to fall back into the role that I had as a teenager with my aunts, you know, and I'm beyond that now. But sometimes you just slip back into those old roles and um, I don't wanna do that this time. I wanna be different and I want them to know why. So they're, they all profess being Christians. Um, but our viewpoints are very different on a lot of things. Uh, so, just want to be a minister. Okay. Good. My uh, my parents were in that stage of life where their health is getting worse and worse, and it's difficult to see that whenever you go from, you know, you were being taken care of, you're taking care of your kids, to now you're starting to take care of your parents and. And it's uh, kind of at the point where, where they live, which a lot of people saw yesterday, is awesome, but it's totally unsustainable for them to stay there. They can't take care of the property, they can't take care of the house. So those weird conversations 
with them and really setting them up for the rest of their life. Living conditions is a bit challenging. You don't want to step on their toes, but at the same time, you got to be realistic and just continued help for them so they can enjoy life. Um, Kyle's fiance right now is in uh, Ghana taking care of an orphan uh, that she's been supporting for how many years? Probably like eight years. Yeah, um, so it was the first year that she had trouble. So it was the hospital to meet this orphan there. Um, and apparently the director of the hospital, uh, just they were just button heads. Um, the director of the hospital was stealing money from Mary that she was giving to her. Uh, she called the police on Mary uh, at the hospital, um, and so Mary had to find a flight pretty quickly out of the country. So she's gone back. Uh, so um, her name is Lady. Right, Lady is the name of the girl. Um, and so she's probably 14 years old now. She doesn't know her birthday. She doesn't know who her parents are. She doesn't know anything really about her, herself. Um, so Mary's gone back um, to support her, and actually. Uh, the orphanage that she's at, the director of that hospital is also director of this orphanage. Um, so there's just a lot of complications there. Uh, I guess just praying that like they won't run into each other because uh, she definitely knows who Mary is. Um, and just going forward um, with Mary and Kyle, like knowing what to do with this orphan, uh, potentially like trying to adopt her um, going forward or just what to do in that circumstance. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, <clears throat> just pray for, uh, I guess, wisdom and guidance as I'm signing up for uh, classes for the fall. Um, I was a little disappointed, actually a lot disappointed last week when I was trying to sign up. Um, I found out that one of the classes that I was planning to take, I need another prerequisite that I haven't taken yet. I can take them at the same time, like the prerequisite and this other class. Um, but like in order for me to do that it looks like I have to go four days a week which I can't feasibly do um, so I'm meeting with my advisor tomorrow um, about basically what to do um, so just some wisdom there and um, I mean application point number four definitely applied directly to that situation just trusting in God's character more than the circumstances on it All right, let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning and we do praise you and thank you for uh, the things that we learn about you and your word. Um, Lord, we know that it's not just information to fill our minds as we study Revelation. Instead, you desire for us to understand truth that can apply to our daily lives as we learn better how to rely upon you and how to trust you in our own circumstances. And so as we read about these churches and as we read about these circumstances taking place um, even now and also in the future, um, and we learn better how to respond to those things, I pray that it would translate to our daily lives as we uh, seek to worship you by trusting you and uh, by worshiping you through the things that you've given us rather than clinging to the things that you've given to us. And Father, I pray that when we're in situations that we don't fully understand and we don't know uh, answers to questions that are being asked that we can rely upon your character and uh, be grateful and thankful and even worshipful in the idea of knowing that history and 
how history is unfolding is the realization of your will. And so we certainly don't have grounds to grumble and to complain. Um, we have much to rejoice about knowing that the Lamb is in control and that evil forces are held at bay by Him and His power. And so we thank you for Jesus and how um, the authority that's given to people on this earth comes from Him and that um, no one is able to wreck or ruin His plans. Um, and so, Father, we just praise you and thank you so much for uh, the things that you've revealed to us in your word. And God, I pray that it would translate to our daily lives. And as we lift up these requests to you, we pray specifically that <coughs> the truths that we've talked about this morning would resonate in these situations with the people involved. We pray for Molly this morning, that you would uh, just continue to sustain her. <coughs> as she looks to the end of her internship, God, I pray that she would really capitalize on the relationships that she has over the next three weeks with her coworkers and uh, with those that she's ministering to, I pray that she would really maximize her time and finish strong. I pray that you would be with her health as she works hard and at times is exhausting herself. I pray that you would give her uh, just a, a healthy mindset to rest and to um, get the needed um, time uh, to herself that, that she needs to sustain her, that she would not neglect time with you, that she would not neglect sleep, um, that she would... Um, really be sustained by your spirit during this um, final stretch. And God, as she comes home and transitions back here and begins to look for a long-term uh, placement to use the gifts and abilities that um, she's honed during this internship, I pray that you would guide her in that process, help us to welcome her back home and um, really get her integrated back into what we're doing here and that she would experience the, the joy and fellowship of being back here with us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, be with our friends at Snowbird as they um, continue to labor hard during this summer uh, with church responsibilities on top of their camp responsibilities. Um, Father, that they would not neglect their family responsibilities in the midst of all the ministry that you've given to them. I pray that you would specifically give Rob and Sean and Spencer the rest that they need and help them to manage their time well. I pray they would be even uh, more productive than normal as they study and prepare to teach, as they Spend time with their kids and, and with their wives. God, I pray that all that time would be fruitful and healthy and strengthening to their, uh, to their relationships. Lord, I pray that you would give them wisdom in conversations they're having with youth leaders and students, that uh, you would just guide their conversations and that ultimately Christ would be made much of uh, through the things that they're doing this summer. We pray for our own youth as we get prepared to send them in a couple of weeks to Snowbird. I pray that you would prepare their hearts for the things that they're going to be exposed to. Um, I pray for those that are going to lead this trip, that you would encourage them as well, and that you would use them mightily as they invest in the lives of our students. God, we pray that you would be with Chris and Melissa as they wrap up their Sunday um, today, as they uh, look towards another week. I pray that you would keep them healthy and safe as they've experienced some recent um, invasion. Uh, Father, I know that that can create anxious feelings. And so, Father, I pray that you would protect them pray that you would keep them strong and healthy. I pray that you would uh, just continue to guide them in the relationships that they're building. Um, Father, that they would be gospel-minded and that you would continue to give them clarity and direction for grace for education and future decisions that have to be made as well. Um, God, we just pray that you would give them clear minds to think and to discuss together um, about what's best as far as students that are accepted and um, how quickly they move and um, and adding the, the female component to this as well. Lord, we pray that you would continue to give Tom wisdom as he leads his family right now. 
um, as they've gone through um, a lot of transition and a lot of unexpected changes. Uh, Father, I thank you that you're, you're guiding and sustaining them through this. And Father, we just continue to ask for that as they make decisions about their house and the possibilities of selling and looking for something else. God, I pray that you would make provision there, um, that you would make it abundantly clear the steps they need to take to put themselves in position to best care for their family. We pray for Tom and Denise, especially as they have conversations with Tom's family um, in the midst of the death of his mother. I pray that the gospel would go forth and that family members would be drawn to you uh, through this time. Um, Father, I pray that you would bring quick quick, uh, resolution to the remaining car situations going on uh, with them, that they would be able to get what they need to to get the family back up and running um, in in a way that's best for all of them. Um, Father, I pray that you would continue to give Tom guidance in, in stepping into retirement and things that he may pursue in the future as well, that you would give him clarity uh, in that direction too. We thank you for allowing Anna's housing situation to get wrapped up. We praise you and thank you for that process coming to an end and the things that she learned in the midst of having to rely upon you during that time. We pray that as she visits family members that you would give her safety um, as she travels up and that you would give her intentionality in the way that she spends her time there. Uh, Lord, we pray for Bobby's family, for his parents, that you would uh, continue to sustain their health. Give Bobby wisdom and conversations that he's having with them about next steps to possibly have them put into a better living situation that can be sustainable for the foreseeable future. I pray that you would guide him in knowing when to have those conversations. Lord, we pray that you would be with uh, Kyle's fiance and the conflict that she's experienced um, surrounding this um, orphan that she's been supporting and those that have uh, potentially tried to corrupt the situation. I pray that you would give her wisdom over there, give her and Kyle both wisdom long-term as well as to how to provide the best support uh, to this young lady. Lord, we pray that you would be with Will um, as he looks towards um, adding classes to his schedule and trying to work out long-term plans. I pray that you would be with the meeting that he's having even tomorrow, that it would be something that clears up some things for him and gives him confidence moving forward as to what steps he needs to take. Again, Father, we praise you and thank you for the chance to be here this morning. I pray that as we enter in now to a time of worship through partaking of your supper, that it would be a a time of encouragement um, as we reflect upon you and and the goodness that you've shown to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.